Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. <laughs> this is Michael Mann, and I ride with Extended Clip. Welcome to Extended Clip, episode 104. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm the Wild Child Bomb. I'm JT White. Our double feature this week is The Wild Child, the 1970 film by Francois Truffaut, and Happy New Year, the 2014 film by Farrah Khan. JT, you you brought this film, both of these films, to the table. Uh, whoa, whoa, what's your thought process? Brought two here? this what? time. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know if you guys know this about me, but I'm kind of a deep thinker. I really? like to muse on a lot of subjects of substance. I mean, you you can both recall pimp mode or chimp mode. <laughs> How can I forget, man? Where I ask the ultimate question there. And I think I talked about this a little bit last week when setting this up. But this this one is man or men solving the dilemma. It's what is what is nobler? Um, to live the free spirit of a wild child, to be a rugged individualist, or to come together with another with the other losers and uh, become a, a part of a team. Maybe maybe do a heist. Put on for your country. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yes. That's the ultimate team is your country. That's <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're all on the same team, whether you like it or not. So let's start to get along. <laughs> Start getting these W's That's over true. other countries. That is very true. <laughs> we we see this in a lot of like uh, sports competition films, like the the inherent nationalism uh, that's invoked there. And frankly, it's always fun. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's done to fun effect in Happy New Year. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I guess you know, fun is the one way to put it. Yeah, but uh, but let, yeah. let's let's start. With the A movie, the highbrow selection. It, it, when you think about the art house cinema, who do you think about? Bergman, Fellini, Duplass, Truffaut, <laughs> and Duplass. And so Francois Truffaut, th- this is an interesting case, you know, because a lot of people reduce him to Truffaut v. Godard, you know? Yeah. Uh, when it's like, yeah, you can clearly uh, enjoy both filmmakers' work despite their falling out. What are you, uh, a stan online about pop stars or something? <laughs> like, uh, come on now. Uh, Truffaut's cool, too. Like, he's got a cool story, you know, yeah. kind of came up from nothing. Like, Absolutely. Like, I mean, all you really need to do is watch the 400 Blows. It's pretty close, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also just it, the story of his... Uh, cinephilia kind of through that movie and through his relationship with Andre Bazan is like one of the great narratives in cinema. Yeah, so it's, you know, I, I like him as a child, right? You know, he was kind of wild himself. Like, you know, 400 Blows. I mean, maybe not as wild as this wild child because this guy's pretty rambunctious. <laughs> you know, this guy's crazy. But yeah, no, that's something I feel like unique uh, to, I mean, Obviously not just Truffaut as a filmmaker, but his heart bleeds for the youth. Mm-hmm. That's a like very consistent theme that pops up throughout his work. I mean, having like a brief shitty childhood himself. And uh, 
I don't know. This is a really tender exploration of that. Yeah, apparently he wanted to make uh, an adaptation of The Miracle Worker before Arthur Penn got his filthy American hands on it. Uh, He wanted to make the original Her Socialist Smile. (laughs) Uh, But uh, he's always had like a dedication to stories about youth, as you said, JT, and particularly the developmental stages. Something like 400 Blows. This is someone who's so troubled uh, in and out of the classroom, of course, but I, I think learning is such like a huge part of that movie, and obviously this movie, uh, pedagogy, teaching is like the the structuring basis of this movie. And so Truffaut casts himself as the teacher, but then there's also the element of it opening on the title card that says uh, for Jean Pierre Laod. Yeah. And Jean-Pierre Laude not in this movie. You know, maybe if it's 10 years later, he could have played the doctor. But to think about the relationship, uh, the main relationship in the movie between the titular child and Truffaut as Dr. Itard, you, to think about it through either Truffaut and Laude, uh Truffaut and this actor himself as he's kind of directing him on camera almost at times and uh Truffaut and Bazan Bazan kind of reining him in and making him <laughs> into the proper cinephile that he became uh it, it's really just a film that unlocks on so many levels but on a very basic narrative level it's so perfectly concisely told and his aesthetic is at such a very like neat uh and trim height it, it's just such a beautiful movie no, yeah, I, like like you said, the movie really is structured through like this academic process, right? And it is like it is tender, like and I mean, just his decision to kind of um, take this kid who was kind of slipping through the cracks of this institution, you know, probably wasn't going to get help there to take him in. You know, that's a tender decision, but yeah. it's very honest about this process and how rigorous it is, and you know, it is like it's very uh, in tune with that, and like you know, along the way, it kind of gives you some you know, some progress, but it is like, it's a lot of failure too. And the institution you mentioned is that for the uh, deaf and mute people of France in Paris, I guess, but like to backtrack a little, if you don't know about the film, it's based on a true story. And uh, Victor, as he was later named, was a boy without society, a boy without other boys in old timey France. He was living in the woods like a like a dog. <laughs> he was climbing up in trees, eating acorns, just out on his own for, you know, as far back as I'm sure he could remember. The doctor, uh, Dr. Etard, played by Francois Truffaut, kind of takes him as a personal project away from this Institute for Deaf Mute Children, uh, which is also a really interesting look at first when Truffaut kind of just allows uh, deaf and mute children kind of to converse uh, with each other you know in sign language throughout the foreground background of frames Uh, like I don't know Truffaut has a very keen eye for the institution kind of looking around at everything going on alongside tracking Victor's progress through it but regardless uh, that setup leads to Dr. Itar taking him in and his kind of procedural journey uh, with the woman that lives at the house as well, kind of uh, teaching the wild child how to be a boy, how to be part of society, uh, how to live like they do at the time. And uh, yeah, it's, as I said, I already said it's a really beautiful movie, but I'll keep saying it. It's 
there, there's something about the aesthetic to it that feels so neat. There's other Truffaut movies that feel like they take place in a dollhouse kind of. Uh, I think of the soft skin as an example of that. But this one, despite it you know, taking place in the wild in the beginning, <laughs> uh, once you get into Truffaut, the doctor's house, it does feel so perfectly neat and precise, not in a Kubrick way, but almost like in a way that Wes Anderson would later steal from Truffaut, particularly with the, now correct me if I'm wrong, I guess Baroque music, like the 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 that, you know strings, That kind of aesthetic of perfectly symmetrical framing, stark black and white, mm-hmm. uh, which obviously Anderson doesn't use, but just to describe Truffaut's aesthetic here. Just, I don't know. It, it's the height of Truffaut's aesthetic journey to that point that I've seen, uh, in my opinion. Also, just to comment on the visual style, like, yeah, Anderson does come to mind, but like, there's something about, I don't know, just like the movement in this film. Like, it just feels a little bit less contained, I would say. And like the like the opening when you know, we see the wild child just kind of wild out in the jungle and you know them bringing him to the institution, I really you really like it is really orderly and you really do get like like a sense of the space like Truffaut is kind of good at giving you the geography and like the way these characters kind of move across um, this axis which is so clearly defined you know with the kind of like this distance tracking distance that Truffaut keeps like you said yeah it is it is very orderly it is I guess very academic as you know the, it, I guess that's what the movie's trying to do I guess I figured it out <laughs> <laughs> well with what the movie's trying to do we should say Truffaut stated very plainly that like he didn't want it to be a movie with an ambiguous message or anything like that mm-hmm. he wants it to be a very straightforward movie and he said a quote was like uh, along the lines of I'll just say this man is nothing without other men and that's what he wanted to prove with this film and so to take, you know, this societyless man, uh, this boy, and to show him that we do live in a society, even if it is 1900 France or whatever. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how back it goes, but I, I do really love the period detail uh, going between the, the garb that the kids at the Institute have to wear and the like fancy dresses of the, the old timey French bourgeoisie that we see. Uh, Truffaut always has an affinity for details like that. And it, I don't know, it's, it's kind of a to keep going on and on about the visual style mm-hmm. when you do bring in these masses of Parisians and stuff like that, it does feel like a very lavish movie, you know? And, uh, I don't know. It's, I, I keep going on about his style, but I feel like at this point in 1970, after working through the new wave for, you know, 11 years, uh, he, he, he has matured quite a bit and I feel like he's really trying to show that and tell something straightforward as perfectly as he can. Yeah, I think that like one recurring thing he does a lot is the iris with the wild child. Oh yeah, and that, so good. It's so beautiful, and I think like really works with that old like the visual aesthetic that he's going for because it wouldn't like be that many years later in the future from when this is set that film mm-hmm. uh would be invented and movies would happen yeah and so there's the silent film aesthetic yeah here and there, uh, which yeah is perfect yeah know? no I think that relates a lot to also 
learning visual language mm-hmm. and comprehending that that way, like happening through the eyes of the child. And I think about that one cutaway in um, Shoot the Piano Player. Uh, have you guys seen that one? Yeah, a while the, ago. The, it's the cutaway of like the guy's mother dropping dead when he says, you know, uh, I swear on my mother's life or something like that. And it cuts to the mom dropping dead. But it's shot in this like through a window in this very like silent film tableau style. And I feel like early in his career, Truffaut could just show you, hey, I know all of the styles. I, I watched all <laughs> of the movies. And here, uh, as he furthers into his career, he's able to laser focus in on one as- aesthetic, but at the same time, he still has those impulses to kind of show off a little the, the range of the style. And that's definitely not a negative thing in this film. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, the iris is like, I love how it just kind of, it's kind of used kind of, uh, you know, traditionally. And then as the movie mm-hmm. goes on, it kind of becomes a little bit more playful as it kind of holds itself on a scene. And like you said, it does kind of relate to learning as like these irises kind of hold as, uh, you know, Victor is kind of taking in these life lessons and, you know, just thinking about this as a, a teacher's movie, you know, I, I prefer this mode a little bit more than maybe a dead poet society, kind of, a, you know, maybe a hard comparison there. But like, I guess it's like, you know, teachers, teachers are great. You know what I mean? Not to take yeah. controversial opinion here, but teachers are great. But it's but like they should stop complaining about the damn paychecks. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, let's let's be let's be real here. No, but it's like, yeah, you see something like dead poet society. And it's like. Give me a fucking break, I dude. mean, yeah, yeah. I've never, I've never liked the teacher that much. <laughs> but it's like with uh, Truffaut here acting as teacher, you really do see kind of, I don't know, the the highs and lows of that mm-hmm. process, and kind of like a, I don't know, the way he explains his process and voiceover to you know, kind of doing things he doesn't wish to do, kind of you know, even giving some harsh you know punishment to the boy, and yeah. it's just a, uh, I don't know, it's it's just interesting. You know, to see that relationship to develop within like this very um, specific, you know, type of bond that they have. Yeah, it's not valorizing it because it's like Truffaut's character is like fucking up and like mm-hmm. making mistakes. And also like, I, I don't know, to add any sense of rigor to the like academic journey the boy takes. It's like it has to be fucking difficult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, also like not to like fast forward to the ending, but like it being like structured as like an academic thing. It's like, right. As like kind of like the experiment is proven, you know, the wild child is domesticated. And so then the movie just simply ends like it's a, like it's a, (laughs) like it's, you know, a report or something. But like, I like that since it kind of fits in with this established structure that Truffaut is working with. And within that procedure that we see the highs and lows, you know, shot in a very similar manner, very matter of fact, the staging is very precise. I think, uh, back to one scene, the uh, the apple, where he's teaching the wild child what a mirror is by basically teasing him with an apple in the mirror until he finally turns around and grabs it out of Truffaut's hands. And then, you know, he, that progresses to an apple or, you know, a little uh, snack or whatever being in the middle of the that three cup Monty or whatever that game is uh, where you, <laughs> you know, the ball in the cup uh, carnival boardwalk game where that he teaches him with. And these these games, these procedures I don't know. They're all so nice and neat. Uh, <laughs> Truffaut writing out his reports and stuff. It's like, oh boy, uh, look down at my notebook. I gotta improve my handwriting. <laughs> no, I, I definitely. I I said that to myself. It's like I have the wild child's handwriting. Yeah. Like I've, <laughs> I need true. I need a Truffaut boot camp to yeah. boss my life up real quick. But I like how he reacts to different stuff 
differently to that sounds so stupid but uh for example when he's drinking water every time he drinks water he goes by the window and just looks at the landscape outside while he's drinking water and it's this like ritual that he develops for himself and Truffaut just kind of explains that he does that and you know doesn't delve into why because it's just kind of there for further investigation uh for him you would assume with that and like things like the narration it feels like almost documentary like mm-hmm. at points and i love that quality to it especially because i don't know did you do any reading about like where Truffaut was able to find this child because he delivers like a, a i think a pretty this astonishing performance you find him in the goddamn jungle <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he's a fucking son of a flamenco guitarist it's <laughs> like he's like a normal kid he, you know uh I, I forgot what his first option was uh from what i read but then he said I'll get the child of a celebrity. I don't know why he had that fixation. Uh, but the kid was super hyped to be in the movie. He said he was going to be the first gypsy film director. He was so inspired by Truffaut working Damn. with him. Uh, but his cool. film career, you know, kind of fizzled out after that, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but he does deliver a hell of a performance here. And the mannerisms Cause I feel uh, like it's are so, so great. It's so hard to take on that perspective of like someone i mean like you get the fun part of like being a kid running around naked in the (laughs) woods that's anyone can do that but like to represent like being alienated from society completely and learning all of these things for the first time i was just very stunned that the uh, a kid was able to pull that off no yeah it's you know because it's like like you said yeah when you're covered in mud and you got really long hair it's like okay yeah this guy's pretty wild yeah but it's when he becomes more yeah, it's like that process of like domestication that he goes through. It, it like you, you, you know, when he cuts off the hair and whatnot, it is impressive how he kind of keeps mm-hmm. that uh, keeps that edge. And it's it's funny, you know, how negatively he reacts to some things. But the first time, it seems like they give him a warm bath. He looks like he's coming the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's so stoked on the warm bath. It's <laughs> it, it's so funny when they scrub him. It's like a dog being pet. It's uh, it's great. You know, you imagine you're. Uh, it was actually kind of nasty. The, the scene before that, when they clip his toenails, yeah. Ugh, that was nasty. <laughs> Let's keep clean. Uh, everyone, listen out keep there. Let's make sure to keep clean. Keep it clean. J'ai obtenu que l'enfant me soit confié et ma gouvernante, Madame Guérin, recevra de l'administration 150 francs par an pour ses soins et peines. Je connais la difficulté de ce que nous entreprenons. So once he kind of domesticates him, teaches him manners and stuff, he wants to teach him how to speak because this child is not deaf and mute. He just, you know, has been separated from society and potentially has a learning disability as well. And to add uh, more to Truffaut's research, I guess he also watched a lot of documentaries about autistic children. And so that kind of feeds into the documentary and teaching angle of this. And so we see him, you know, develop this passion for order and developing his own sense of communication, uh, whether it be nonverbal or verbal. But he, you know, he's playing by his own rules, basically. And I I think the the freedom that Truffaut's doctor character allows once he realizes, like, what kind of 
uh, mental capacity the kid has once he's demonstrating his knack for order and the, the shortcut he figures out for one of the exercises and stuff like that. He begins rewarding him for creativity and stuff like that. And I feel like for 1970, it's almost like a progressive, mm-hmm. uh, especially for, you know, 1970, a period piece dating <laughs> way back, you know. Uh, but uh, also, it's not like he based it on uh, Dr. Etard's journals because those did not exist. Those are Francois Truffaut's screenwriting uh, tactics uh, to make it more of a focused movie, you know? And I think that's a perfect uh, structuring device, his, his journal. Well, yeah, to even like bounce off of that, I mean, that scene where, he, you know, Victor does something right and, you know, Dr. Truffaut is like, you know, I'm, I'm going to punish him anyways, you know, just to see how he reacts, just to see if he knows what he's doing is right and then you know it goes through that process does it and the kid fights back he bites him and yeah Truffaut's very happy that the kid d- did that I think that is also a pretty uh progressive sentiment for the time you know yeah after I mean the final test is him running away and then just coming back on his own but that's like the second to last test is d- will he understand morals and by that I'm just going to treat him like shit and see <laughs> if he figures out that it's wrong but as I said, he runs away. He comes back home. A very emotional scene compared to the rest of the movie, I would say. Uh, you know, the the line, this is your home. And it's uh, it's very beautiful as Truffaut's just taking him in as a son, essentially. And uh, he, he has this iris in on him right after Truffaut follows that up with, we get back to lessons after your bath. <laughs> uh, you get this beautiful iris in on him ascending the staircase. Almost like an inverse or just a different riff on the last shot of the 400 blows uh, where Leo turns to the camera at the beach. They're free here. The child domesticated and learning to be further domesticated. Uh, But, you know, I feel like it's a more mature uh, ending almost. I mean, I'm not putting down the ending. 400 (laughs) blows, one of the great endings in cinema history, Uh, but it's a, it's a clear growth uh, for Truffaut. I think Mm -hmm. at this point, and, I, I adore this movie. I'm, I'm going four and a half bullets. Now, with the 400 blows ending, I would, like he kind of looks scared at the end, right? You know what I mean? He has that freedom, right? But he's also has, he's reached the edge. He has nowhere to go. Whereas this one, he knows, ex- the wild child knows where he's going to go. He knows who his dad is. He knows who to go home to every night. Um, isn't that great? That's a, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy for him. Um, I'm going to give this one four bullets. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Just, it, it, it's hitting on like a structural level and like the visuals inform informs that structure too. And it's, yeah, I don't know, just kind of nothing too, I guess, complex here, but it's like the precision it has with uh, everything it's trying to do. It's just, it's, it's a good movie. Yeah. I'm going for bullets as well. I was like, uh, I didn't know what to expect. Like going into this, I, you hear the name wild child. You expect a lot of, like visceral like gnawing gnashing and you get some of that you get the child on a leash at points like that stuff is fun and is there but i was really taken aback by how uh sensitive this is but it doesn't surprise me because it relates to um a lot of Truffaut's own experience with uh childhood mentorship and i think winds up being really sensational um because of that and uh yeah no it's a a great one one of my favorite scenes that we didn't mention is when he's trying to get him to talk and to do that he asks him to beg for milk uh lay 
and uh, that you get that little squeal that I'll put the <laughs> I'll put the clip in. But it's the first time it's played from outside of the window of his house. Uh, and I don't know something about the distance of that because it's this long still take of them just prying this one word out of him, uh, Truffaut and the woman he lives with. And it's, <laughs> I don't know, something about that scene feels so long and so intense and it's such a great release uh, that being, you know, having the camera just plopped outside of the house just feels fit- fitting for some reason. There's a lot of like just like little visual tricks he's doing here that just just really elevate the movie. Like mm-hmm. I I just remember when like the wild child runs um, out of that little like barn prison they have for him, and like he kind of instead of kind of going with the chase, Truffaut just kind of kicks back and does like kind of like a long crane shot. Oh yeah, or whatever. Yeah, there's just a lot of choices like that that just. Uh, Hey, he's a makes me think he's pretty cool. Yeah, there's also some pretty huge fucking crane shots. Yeah, in this. like this is like he went he went prestige or blockbuster even mode for this <laughs> one. He went he busted out the big guns and uh, all all props to him for it. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it is a pretty like small discreet film. I'm sure those were the big budgetary swings. Those crane shots i guess i I don't fucking know what what are we talking about here we're production guys (laughs) (laughs) we're on the production side of the industry (laughs) we'll be right back on extended clip And we're back on extended clip. It's Malcolm in the middle. Life is unfair. <laughs> Malcolm, that's how you should you should that should be the intro to the segment every time. Now you've done that a couple times throughout yeah. the years. Yeah, let's just keep it. Let's keep it rolling. All right. Uh, <laughs> what'd you watch this week? Um, well, you know, JT, he gave me, he slid me the papers. He said, Malcolm, watch Wild Child, watch Happy New Year, and I was like, okay, sure thing. Wild Child, if, if he's watching, you know, if he's making me watch Wild Child, you know what I'm going to watch in my free time? Bad Girl by uh, Frank Borzage. Borzaghi? Borzaghi? I, I don't think. Know. I don't, I have no clue. But, right uh, in, fans. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me what, which, rather than what it is, which one sounds better? You know what I mean? Let's go with that one, Borzaghi. Yeah. Um, well, anyways... Uh, I, I was kind of intrigued by the plot description, right? It kind of it kind of gave me like a Dr. T type like feeling. It, a man and woman skeptical about romance nonetheless fall in love and are wed, but their lack of confidence in the opposite, opposite sex haunts their marriage. And you know what? I like this movie like all right. It was just all right. It wasn't necessarily, um, I don't know. It wasn't great, but Borzaghi, you know, he kind of brings like, uh, he's a very romantic filmmaker from what I've seen. And he kind of takes like, I, I don't know, this is a little bit more screwball than I was expecting. It's a little mm-hmm. bit more like a lot of like wacky misunderstandings that, you know, kind of ruin their relationship. It's kind of, you know, a lot of like rom-com fare. And uh, I don't know, I guess I was kind of more, I was I was ready for just pure romance, you know, and there was, there was a lot of jokes. But of course, he, he still has those twinges, the romantic twinges in his filmmaking and... Uh, you know, you got uh, 
James Dunn and Sally Ehlers. I haven't really heard of them before, but they, they were pretty good. I bought their relationship. And, you know, a lot of it, this does feel kind of like low budget. It's a lot of, like, people talking in rooms. But I think, you know, for, like, a screenplay that I'm not too crazy about, I think Borzage, you know, gets something out of it. So, you know, I'm glad... I'm glad I went down that path with them, I guess. You know, not 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 every movie's going to be a winner. Sometimes yeah. you got to support the directors you like through just an okay movie and you got to sit through it, you know? Put the three stars on Letterbox, keep it moving. Keep it moving. JT, um well I wanted to re you talking about Bad Girl reminded me real quick of something that I didn't mention with The Wild Child that I want to just briefly sneak in here i've already tweeted about this but it makes me very happy a movie about um a man relating to a child not very sus at all does a very good job of that but the tagline is at last an adult film to which you can take your children and uh, i don't know I, i mean i wouldn't take my kid to see that you know Either way. Even if it was pornography. (laughs) Even if it was pornography. (laughs) They just do it a little different over there in France. What if it was a porno of Truffaut and the lady in the house? Would you take your kid to that? <laughs> yeah, well, I got to teach him how to be a man. You exactly. know, I gotta it's teach still him a teaching to, movie. You know, you know <laughs> what I mean? I got to teach him one thing or another. I just keep referring to her as the lady in the movie. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's Francois Seigneur as Madame Glorine. Uh, but we'll just keep calling her the bitch from the wild child, <laughs> the old bitch. <laughs> well, no. I won't be. I won't be talking yeah, about her in that. those terms, Eddie. Eddie, Madame Guaron. I got. I got the. Uh, never mind. Let's keep moving. Let's keep, well, keep, let's keep it keep moving. Let's keep it moving. As you said, three stars. Keep moving. <laughs> keep moving. All right. I I did watch uh, some movies this week. I I mean, we're gonna talk about Happy New Year. I know we're all excited. We're gonna get there. But I've really been riding the Shah Rukh Khan ship, and mm. this man has so much fucking charisma. Um, I've mostly done his work from the 2000s and into the 2010s. I haven't dipped my toes too much in to his earlier stuff, um, but I watched Bazigar uh, from Ooh. 1993 last night, and this one was crazy, especially because I had not seen uh, Shah Khan play as much. I mean, in Fan, he plays an anti-hero, but he also plays the the hero as well because he's doing like the, the two-people mm-hmm. performance. But in this, he is like a guy who his mother is like fucked up and uh, ill because a uh, business tycoon sort of fucked her over. And so he, um, when he was a young lad, and so he schemes on this plan that he's going to destroy this tycoon's life. And he weasels his way into um, the lives of both of the daughters. And one of them, he uh, like he, he's fallen in love with her like in public. That's on display. It's a uh, and that relationship's out in the in the front. And then he falls in love with this other girl uh, secretly and he makes her kill herself and uh, just throws her off a building. It's some crazy shit. And it's also just weird. Like, there's some, like, beautiful cinematography in this. But you'll see, like, Shah Khan with some, like, evil fucking glasses tinted and cackling. And it's like, this stuff is wild. And it's just nice to see him... Like throw a woman off a building? No, that's not <laughs> nice. I do not. I love women. 
I hate seeing them get thrown off oh, buildings. Well, you got you, you got me in agreement there. <laughs> um, I'm I'm the anti-hero of the podcast, and I endorse women being thrown off buildings <laughs> in movies where there's a safe landing. But I endorse it nonetheless. It's healthy. It's healthy catharsis, so men don't do it in real life. It's called exploitation movies for a reason. People are going to get exploited anyway. Go on. But it's interesting to see Shah Rukh Khan's star power at a young age because the ones from 2000 and 2010 like he is the established pimp there he is coming into a scene with so much fucking swag already locked and loaded he's like fucking ripped in this a little less ripped uh uh, still a man who's uncertain of his future and it's uh really nice to see it was a, a great movie i watched a movie from you know one of our other favorite movie stars, if we're talking, we got Adam Sandler, we got Shah Rukh Khan, we got John Wayne. Directed by John Ford uh, is kind of the best four words you can hear uh, at the end credits of a John Wayne movie. And this one was Rio Grande. Uh, we talked about one of the entries in this trilogy, Ford Apache, on the Patreon a while back. And it's a very difficult trilogy. This, She Wore a Yellow Ribbon. Uh, and Ford Apache. They're, they're movies that are kind of military movies and westerns combined. This one, Rio Grande, adds the family drama aspect to it. And, you know, the, some people think this is kind of a so-so John Ford movie. He, he didn't even want to make it initially because he just wanted to go make The Quiet Man, wanted to go to fucking Ireland, go back home, make the homecoming movie that he always wanted, you know, uh, which he eventually got to do just like a year and a half later or whatever. But this one, I feel like there's so much warm up for the quiet man going on here with Marine or O'Hara br- being brought in uh, as John Wayne's wife, you know, coming and staying at the military base. And then John Wayne's son is also at the military base. He was kicked out of the academy that he was in and uh, then assigned to this post where his dad, John Wayne, is his boss. And so it's this family drama that just can't resist the classic Ford comedy touches. And it also just, anytime you get out of the military base on horseback, it just becomes a classic Western again, you know. And uh, Ford, Ford Apache might be like the really crazy masterpiece of the trilogy, but I think she wore a yellow ribbon and this one, Rio Grande, are both absolutely stunning films. And I might even prefer this one, Rio Grande, uh, to Yellow Ribbon. But uh, obviously, watch every John Ford movie. No, yeah, that's, you know, I haven't seen that one yet, but hey, I'll get to it eventually. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, no, I have seen it and I agree pretty much exactly with your thoughts. Even, like, the lesser Fords are... I mean, that one... I don't know. There's so many amazing Ford movies. Yeah, exactly. It's hard to say like lesser or what. The I have word. I have I haven't fixed my Ford rankings yet, but I don't know. Just everything that man touches, there's at least something to love. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll we'll, we'll be right back. <laughs> you know, we talked about Ford Apache for a while. Uh Ford Apache episode about that movie available on the Patreon, $2 <laughs> a month weekly bonus episode. This past week, our bonus up was about Unforgiven by Clint Eastwood. Don't you want to listen to that? I mean, if, if, you, if you liked, you know, John Ford talk, I'm pretty sure you might like that. Yeah. 
I and don't know. Uh, six dollar level, <laughs> there is a monthly PDF which will be coming out for April in the next couple of days. Sorry, Malcolm, you yeah, have more homework. <laughs> no, you didn't. You were Just planning you it. Submit. Oh, <laughs> you can submit one of your previous final assignments for this. Yeah, I hope you guys like uh, learning about the Bosnian War. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be right back on extended clip. Just a job to me. (laughs) I take no pleasure in this. It's just what I have to do every week. You know, my mom always told me something um, growing up. If you don't have anything analytically insightful or humorous to say, keep your fucking mouth shut. And that's that's why the episode's ending right now. Goodbye. (laughs) And we're back on extended clip. Happy New Year is the B film today. Uh, The 2014 effort by Farrah Khan. I've seen... Main Hunna by Farrakhan. The other big one is Om Shanti Om, right? JT, mm-hmm. I know you're a big fan of that one. Yeah, she's only done, I think, four features. Mm. Um, I don't know what the last one is, but she's like worked as a choreographer throughout yeah. many films. And, you know, th- this movie is like... <laughs> I, I don't know. It, Happy New Year. It might have some truly terrible dancing on a competitive <laughs> level, but it might be one of the most wonderfully choreographed films I've ever seen. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we have Shah Rukh Khan as Charlie plotting a heist uh, that takes place around a dance contest. It, it's a caper. It's a sports competition movie. It's a comedy. It's a musical. Uh, it's a little exercise in national pride. Uh, it's, it's just so much fun. Charlie puts together this heist team that not only have specific skills, but they have specific emotional motivations, uh, stemming back to the villain who they're trying to knock off, you know, and the missing link between dance and crime is Mohini, who is their dance leader and becomes Charlie's love interest so can they win the hearts of the international dance contest judges and rip off the ceos of the like corporate sponsor of the contest i guess can't can you have your cake yeah and eat it too rip off the ceo in hopes that he'll kill himself in jail yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's brutal (laughs) i love it oh i mean yeah this is I mean, yeah, I, this is such a fun time of a movie. And, uh, you know, you're saying with the choreography and whatnot, you, like you said, you know, these these guys are men of crime, not exactly, you know, uh, trained ballet you yeah. know, dancers here. <laughs> but but um, the choreography is like there's so many montages in this movie, and that's partially why it's so fun. It's very montage driven. Mm-hmm. But like the choreography within them just kind of like goofing around within these montages is so 
you know, intricate and, uh, I, uh, yeah, I don't There's a lot to like about this movie. Yeah, the sports competition angle uh, lends itself to montages. You know, mm-hmm. the, those sports competition movies, like martial arts movies, uh, are, are kind of the predominant example. Predominantly feature training montages for, like, the entire first and second act, pretty much. And so this film will have multiple montages intercut with each other with different sound uh, soundtracks and music cues and stuff. And I don't know, you know, when you think about some of the split screen work that Farrakhan does here, it reminds me of how multiple montages clash together uh, when this film is really soaring at its heights in terms of montage for me, which I, you know, as much as I love the really emotional beats and the, the really, great scenes for Shah Rukh Khan to like ham it up on camera. Uh, I, I think the montages are where this film's at its height. Oh yeah, absolutely. The way this is edited and just like, I think also playing into the heist film genre allows for a lot of really graceful stuff mm-hmm. there. I mean, just the way like you get the classic, like building the team stuff in the beginning. And then when you see sort of them cutting between uh, doing the heist in the fake little room they've set up and then the actual like rigmarole of it. it there's so much great like cross-cutting in this. Yeah, and it kind of reminds me of Ocean's 12 in that regard too where it's kind of self-conscious uh, about going through the notions of a, a caper movie and kind of making it about the hangout in between mm-hmm. just as much as the caper stuff itself uh oceans 12 i mean you know the editing the transitions kind of remind me of that more than anything but i love that these guys all have this bond even if it is this emotional trauma uh all caused by this guy they are all just buddies and that (laughs) makes the montages that much more fun and then you layer that on top of like they have to win this dance competition right yeah so so good so it's like it is like you do have like the heist things and then like you said the sports mode movie you know you get some some, you know uh um practices and whatnot and kind of just like taking you know some of the the classic things of those movies and kind of playing them out together it does kind of have that feel when like you know a Farrakhan like kind of will put you know mash two montages up together you know but to great effect and uh the the getting the game together thing is very self-conscious one character even says oh you know time for one more introduction and each character has the this introduction where it's like you need to know two things about this character (laughs) (laughs) and there's always some kind of like visual joke on the second thing that plays off of the first thing uh sometimes it's as easy as the love interest you know she loves english but she does not understand it (laughs) yeah i loved with the hacker i had to write this line down it's like uh uh you know when he's trying to hit on like these a girl on the in the club or whatever it's like these girls don't want iq they want cq cool quotient <laughs> the cool quotient is so sick yeah. all these hoes are fucking all over my cq it's also a total uh, motivational instagram post in that moment where early on in the voiceover it says he has 500 friends on facebook but no friends in real life and yeah. he's just like all alone in the club yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> that is, I don't know, there, there's something about the kind of on-the-nose humor that extends so far sometimes in this. Uh, like the, uh, she's standing right behind me, isn't she? <laughs> you know, that, that's played once an hour in this movie. Yeah. Uh, and very effectively, always oh. way past the point to where it should be played. It just keeps going. But it makes it so much funnier. Uh, and no one can sell a gag like that like a top tier movie star like Shah Rukh Khan does. I mean, the third time it wraps around, it, it, of course. it legitimately got me. You know yeah. what I mean? Because, like, <laughs> like, you know, you think, like, oh, on the second time he's going off saying, like, oh, she's duplicitous. She goes to the club and, you know, it's like she's a walking music video. She's, she's riffraff. <laughs> you know, Shah Rukh Khan going very, you know, nose up mode. And, uh, but yeah, then, then it's like kind of, you know, he's, you know, revealing the, the, you know, the heist and, yeah, you know, it got the gags work. You know, the the <laughs> length of the movie too. Like, also that helps to kind of like to sell like uh, certain things that wrap back around. But I mean, I I do just love how like uh, goofy this movie. I I do kind of I'm on yeah. this movie's humor wavelength, and it is oh it, it goes kind of crass and tasteless sometimes. <laughs> but I think I don't know. Like I think that's an interesting aspect. This like world dancing competition, right? You kind of have, you know, each. Uh, country represented and you kind of get into some you know racial stereotypes there and it kind of i i guess i can't say i'm a fan of them but it's just it just it's interesting to see the stuff work out on screen yeah it's yeah. it's funny to watch that play out i like it's in general i feel like the 2010s stuff i've seen uh from bollywood work is a little bit like less melodramatic and heartfelt than mm -hmm. stuff from the early 2000s and in this, like, I don't know, I just really love it because it's like that type of goofy, like, kind of mean humor yeah. that, like, one recurring gag that makes me laugh so much that, like, I, I think e thinking about it, and it's like, okay, that's not that funny. But Tammy, uh, oh, the guy who has the lisp, that. when he, the, how they integrate him having a seizure <laughs> <laughs> into the dance routine, it's like, that's so fucking mean, but made me laugh every time. Yeah, yeah. They, they introduce his epilepsy uh, early on. He has a seizure, and they're just like, oh, it always just lasts 30 seconds. Don't worry about it. So they have to incorporate it, and you know, it even happens in the heist one time, but... I, I was even going to say I love his character introduction because he's just known as like this middle-aged woman magnet. Uh, like he he wears a hat that what is it? It says stud. It says stud. stud. Yeah, <laughs> and he's taking a jog, and all these middle-aged ladies are just desperately trying to fuck him while he's on his jog. And uh, I love how that wraps around when he comes back, and it's like the whole neighborhood is trying to fuck him. Even there's like a guy up front trying to fuck him, and that's another style of crass humor in this movie is the <laughs> the gay humor, <laughs> which definitely happens a lot. At one point, it's leveraged in terms of like uh, plot mechanics. That's how they uh, make it through one stage of qualifications for the dance contest. They reveal a video of the two judges uh partaking in nefarious homosexual activities <laughs> yeah you know um you know that's that's you know we love gay people here yeah it's 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 not a woke thing it's yeah. it's uh but the thing is it's it's pure blackmail it's criminal yeah. blackmail these Look, guys they're these trying guys to are, steal diamonds these guys are criminals <laughs> it's also like the they're, like they're thugs the eight-year-olds i was saying this to you earlier the eight-year-olds idea of what being gay is which yeah. is like just guys wearing wigs and tickling each other with feathers <laughs> well it's, i mean hey you know if you want to do that it's like 
many of like these montages, right? You know, you kind of like they're very like costume orientated, yeah. right? Like you get plenty of the gang and kind of like rainbow like mm-hmm. outfits too, you know, for all like <laughs> kind of like the gay jokes there are that, you know, they, I guess this might, might, might but they get to do gay things yeah, no, or whatever in, in, in the well, montage. I mean, it's like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's some of the stuff that I don't necessarily find charming about 2000s, like American studio comedies, yeah. but it's there. I mean, like the, uh, the slut shaming that happens, um, uh, by Shara Khan at yeah. various points for the the woman being a club dancer. Yeah, it's like but no one's take, perfect. But he's yeah. in the he's in the wrong, and that's and why it's, it's, yeah, that's exactly why it's exactly he's just denying he's his too harsh. love for her. Too. Yeah, he, he's just you know putting up a front because of how much he truly cares about her, as it's revealed later. Going on. schoolyard mode. Exactly. Um, I I do really like another uh, stylistic flourish here. There's some melodramatic, really whited out flashbacks where this is where all the characters are kind of sharing their bond, their traumatic bond together. And you almost have this like Spielberg Kaminsky early 2000s whited out vision. Uh, And then it comes back from it for another great gay panic joke where it's like, we're brothers. All right, kiss me. (laughs) what you don't kiss your brother (laughs) (laughs) that's just some some goofing around yeah exactly it's like if you're being cynical you read that as like oh they undercut the melodramatic moment with uh homophobia and if you're having fun you say that scene just hit me in like five different emotions and a lot of them put a smile on my face yeah so i'm gonna roll with the punches and just see where it takes me. well yeah i mean this movie just has like and it's just it's got a it's high energy first of all you know oh, a, lot yes. of, a lot of dancing a lot of massive crowds cheering like our you know our main characters on and maybe you know maybe i'm a sheep maybe i'm, I'm a, you know i'm a follower you're rooting for the home team. but yeah i feed off that energy i see like you know them do some shit and the whole crowd's going wild you know i i kind of support them a little bit more i don't know what to say and i think it's really funny that one of the main conceits of the film is that like they've hacked their way into it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like they forced people to like them because the crowd hates them at first it's a great political allegory there if you just like say that someone's leading in the polls despite getting no votes how many people would just be like yeah, I love you know he's actually good, and I actually vote. I, I was one of those votes. It reminds I was me. One of those votes. Reminds me of a certain someone. <sighs> <laughs> we we know who really won twenty twenty. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I also love the very basic references to other movies. Uh, like there's a reference to Charlie's Angels feature followed by a reference to Mission Impossible within like five minutes in this movie. Uh, and it, it feels like it's just kind of indulging in this postmodern culture where all, all the reference points are kind of up for grabs and you could kind of rearrange them how you like. But unlike a lot of postmodern filmmakers uh like say Tarantino or someone like that i think Farrah Khan's you know storytelling is much more emotional uh less detached despite some of the darker humor uh and i i really do think that the choreography is at the heart of all of that it's just like the gel that holds this movie together because it is about choreography and so her mise-en-scene in every scene is so like i don't know it, it it's 
it's very subtly poetic. It's it's only when you really try to break it down that you notice what she's doing with framing and stuffing bodies into the frame at some points, and especially in some of the scenes with spectacle. There's so many bodies around, and when the broadcast of the dance contest is on TV, you have this family uh, watching it that you cut to a couple times, and it's like 40 people on this patio this rectangular patio huddled around this tv uh and it's in cinemascope so it's like this narrow part of the frame is that and then the rest of the frame you see people just like walking below the apartment uh and i don't know there's just so much going on in that setup that she cuts to for four or five seconds at a time throughout the second half of this movie that i don't know the the amount of detail is just a wonder in this movie no, even like the beginning of the movie, like she's really good at showing just the large, massive scale of everything, you know, especially that huge crowd. And it's like everything that feels, you know, big in this movie really, you know, really perfects that that excess. No, I mean, I think something that is this much of a spectacle, you're constantly like outdoing yourself. Yeah. And each mm-hmm. time like I was like legitimately taken aback because it's just building off of amazing set piece after amazing set piece one of the early ones that i really liked i don't think we've talked about yet is when it's after they get the hacker rohan um when there's that little like fight that happens Mm. like outside um (laughs) where like shower khan is sort of doing the explaining amid like amidst like just this fight happening and then one of the henchmen constantly gets thrown onto like Tammy when he's like trying <laughs> yeah. to eat food. <laughs> that that's when you know like okay the the goofiness is not gonna go away in oh, this yeah. movie because even at the heights of the action there's so much goofiness. But that scene feels like it's from a video game or something. I don't know that that setup uh, that back alley between a couple of buildings lit by the neon signs that are around the block from them. It, it's such an incredible stage for them to fight each other on. Uh, and yeah, Farrah Khan throughout this is just, even in the most natural settings, uh, putting characters on stages. You oh, know? yeah. It, it's really a film not just about choreography, but about staged, uh, performed choreography. All like the lighting style in this movie is mm-hmm. super like glossy and like super like, you know, just like very, just like. Uh, just very focused on giving you like that, that that gleam, you know that that uh, like uh, uh, I don't know how to describe this. I guess it's, but it's, it's a like weird a, digital yeah, texture yeah, to the lighting, especially yeah. when she goes into like lens flare and bokeh stuff. Like the the that like pink and blue rooftop club uh, early mm-hmm. on, it's so overwhelming. Yeah, the amount that's, of that's just the like word. Yeah. lighting that's in that scene, it it really just takes a hold of you. No, it's it. The lighting's always very like expressive and overwhelming, e- you know, or even like I don't even a, know if it's actually gelled because yeah. of how digital lighting works and shit. I, but, don't, I yeah. don't know about yeah, yeah. But like, like even like scenes like kind of like lower key scenes, like you'll just see like kind of reflections of like some sort of pink and blue on like Shah Rukh Khan's face. Like it kind of goes for like that that club lighting, you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, and the cinematography is always yeah. It is like I guess like. I can't really put like a, a definitive fing- finger on the style, but it's always very like inventive and willing to do different things, like willing to, I don't know, have a few creative frames edited within like the process and whatnot. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's always it's 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 hyperactive. It's it's high energy like the rest of the movie. Everything after the intermission takes place at the tournament in Dubai, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
that's and, part of the that's part of the plan so that you know their enemy in prison will be tortured more harshly exactly the, the laws there yeah so we, we should fill you in there so yeah he he basically like betrayed uh Shahrukh Khan's father financially to the point where he ends up in, j- in through business to the point where his father ended up in jail uh w- his only hope to kill himself and so now Shahrukh Khan wants to do the same thing to this man and his son <laughs> yeah his son his son you know guilty. really gets gets guilty <laughs> by association i guess that's that's pretty harsh but, but revenge I, is revenge i i do love the setup of it all taking place like at this hotel in Dubai, which is like a corporate sponsor of the movie. And, you know, it's funny or, you know, I don't know. Funny to me because I haven't seen many of the Bollywood studio movies of this era, maybe, but the onslaught of like corporate sponsors in the pre-credit role, kind of like a festival movie is with uh, production companies. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is with like corporate (laughs) stuff. But at the same time, I have to say, I really liked uh, particularly the use of consumer electronics. Like, yeah, it's always label up so you know what they're using and stuff. But to me, I, I love that stuff. I, I love seeing, like, the... I already forgot the name of the walkie-talkies they were using and stuff, but it's very clearly showing the product. They also do that with a projector they're using. Uh, but in a way that feels very clean within the aesthetic of the rest of the film. But anyway... This hotel at Dubai, it's awesome. There's lots of hijinks. They go up on the roof and fight Team Korea. They have like a mini dance off first and they get in this huge fight. And uh, because the dude knocks uh, Shah Rukh Khan's glasses off, it's like, dude, you can't break his favorite pair of Ray-Bans. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, the, the rest of the fight proceeds, you know, of him uh, getting his pair of sunglasses, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. swooping that swooping guy's sunglasses. In. What yeah. a what a martial arts move that was. Uh, of of course, the fight is uh. scored to a a, a a remix of Kung Fu Fighting, everyone's favorite song. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, the rooftop stunts. You know, it works. You it know, works. You know, I I do Great. I do like uh like seeing Shah Rukh Khan kind of hit that acrobat move uh, once he's almost pulled off like that uh that like a uh, metal netting or whatever. Or something yeah, once like that. you start going towards the edge of the roof, you just know he's going to be playing with the edge. To the rooftop like yeah. th- this is the kind of movie that is and it delivers perfectly i, I kind of like this stretch of the movie because it's kind of just uh you know the squad kind of uh, establishing their name within like this dance competition like yeah. i love i love the set piece where they go to the club and just basically just tear just, it up just tear tear the <laughs> shit up what's yeah. the what's the musical number feeling all right it's a nonsense night it's a oh nonsense that's night. awesome yeah, it's the sickest shit it's, dude it's so they're just going that's how i'm trying like we got yeah, now that we're all exactly up, <laughs> yeah. go out there have a nonsense <laughs> night. yeah it's like i'm feeling all right because it's a nonsense night i'm feeling all right because it's a nonsense night the haters can't you know reciprocate the energy you know we own this night it is, it is it, it yeah it's just it's as simple it's as that such a feel good scene. yeah exactly it's like that's a feel good moment and yeah. it, it really sells it especially you know you could buy someone like Shah Rukh Khan kind of uh, tearing the club up too you know? so they I mean they even get into the playoff uh, the, the final round through some wild card you know I'm sick of these Mickey Mouse play in <laughs> wild card playoff formats okay fucking Lakers fan of course uh, Lakers fan would say that but regardless uh, they, they get into the finals and instead of showing up at first they they succeed with their heist and uh what's her name again mohini 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 
And Mohini goes on the stage alone after the heist <laughs> is perfectly executed. But you know. And it's really beautiful at first, it, but you just know what's going to happen. And she just turns around one by one. They each start coming out and join her uh, on the dance floor other than Shah Rukh Khan. They pretty much finish the routine and then you just see his silhouette. Oh, uh, it's beautiful. Blown the fuck up over the Indian flag behind them on the projector. And it's just such a cathartic release as the big boss is arrested for attempting to steal his own diamonds, I guess, or yeah. whatever. Open uh, and shut case. Simple uh, as that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like them coming together to be at the dance. It also yeah. ties things up neatly because it's like, oh, Team India is there. They couldn't have been doing the thing. Of course. Yeah. And uh, the it's resolved between Mohini and Shah Rukh Khan. And they, they all take a joyous plane ride back home with the trophy what a beautiful movie about love friendship shaking your fat ass not at the club but in, st- in front of thousands of people <laughs> yeah wasn't, wasn't there like a lines like so that young i hope to inspire that young girls dance out of like it like uh their own accord or something yeah. like that. <laughs> hey, we can't all be perfect we but. can't all be perfect <laughs> I mean, the end credit sequence oh is something God. so sick, so high. I mean, like uh, just uh, shouting out the whole crew. Yeah, of yeah. course. That's that's the big thing. This and main main who nod is the same thing in the end oh, credits. Really? Got to like give that. love to the crew. I mean, yeah, and she kind of inserts uh, Farrah Khan herself in there as kind of like judging this dance competition. Obviously, I'm, I'm thinking about, um, you know, build me up buttercup. There's something about Mary sequence and. That really, that really gets me. That really is a feel-good way to. I love a victory lap. Yeah, I yeah. love a victory lap because it takes. To, you know, we're a production podcast to get on the production <laughs> side. I feel like you know because obviously that takes a lot of work. There's a lot of costumes, you know, within that. So I feel like in order to, you know, get a victory lap out of your crew, you know, you kind of ha- it had to be like a good production. It had to be a good time on yeah. set. I'd have to imagine. So I'm, I'm glad good times are being had on. On set. I, I really love uh, when Shah Rukh Khan gets his credit at the end. And he comes out and he has f- uh, like for Farah only or whatever yeah. tattooed on his back. Uh, and she's just like, ooh, sexy. You know, call me later. And he, uh, <laughs> like that's kind of a running joke throughout is people doing the call me sign. At people. A lot of abs in this movie. Yeah. I a lot of abs if you're an oh, fan. yeah. Dude, yeah. Uh, but it's so funny because just like imagine like. I don't know. Who who am I pulling out of the hat here? Uh imagine Quentin Tarantino ending a movie with like uh like Death Roof ends with like uh Rose McGowan like doing the strip tease again, but for, for <laughs> just just for what, Quentin. What, what and an it amazing just, like, has comparison. a tattoo and it just says like for Qu- for Quentin only. <laughs> and, and he has the sign that says sexy, like <laughs> uh, I mean maybe Farrakhan's just she's got that swag to her. No, maybe exactly. She it like all yeah. the uh, ex- incredibly swagged out director can uh pull off that type of uh you know blatant uh objectification in a victory lap and um that's what Farrakhan is she's a class a filmmaker and this is a great movie four bullets for me i'm gonna go for four bullets as well i think i've said my piece yeah four bullets so fun i'm glad we could uh talk about this and i'm excited to bring more Khan, more bollywood to the podcast absolutely. let's do it let's absolutely but do not that. next week nope <laughs> no. sorry. sorry going back to the sports movies from america <laughs> i know you all loved the baseball yeah. episode last year <laughs> the golf episode two weeks ago 
we know we know you love sports, and we know you we you love these sports yeah. particularly, and we know you love Ron Shelton sports movies <laughs> from the stats on my, our Tin Cup episode. <laughs> Friend of the pod, Jason Buford will be coming on the pod uh, to talk about two baseball movies, Bull Durham and Moneyball. Ball.